0: No, it is an honor to be here. It really is. And what I want to commend, excuse me, want to commend your church for doing this. And I was, un, I'm understanding that you guys do this every year. And as my friend Scott, who I'll introduce here in a second, uh, reminded me this morning, it's so important that we don't forget. That we don't forget the sacrifices made by people that day, the lives lost, the innocent lives lost. And really what I want to add to what was said already is just this week, the FDNY put 18 more names up on their Wall of Memory. Uh, these are gentlemen or ladies who have died of cancer since 9/11. 177 New York City firefighters have died of uh, 911-related cancer since that event. So the the total isn't 343 in New York City fire. It's 520, and I'm sure it's the same with some of the police officers and such as well, and and even others. You know, the, uh, the construction workers, anybody who spent uh, any amount of time down there, um, is still potentially suffering at some level. So we never want to forget. And the other thing I don't want to forget is ever since then, I think by the last count over 5,000 men and women in our military have given their lives to protect our freedoms as a result and an outcome. Not to mention all the, the ones that were injured and stuff. So thank you as a church for mem- uh, remembering all of that and giving us an opportunity to to not just remember them, but also, and I loved your worship this morning, there, there's not much more I can say about what I want to say, keep those words that you sang this morning, the scripture that was read, because that is really what the message is today, it's a message of hope, it's a message of hope, and how God shows up like Mike prayed, in the big and small things, and it really is remarkable, and if you look, you don't have to look hard, you don't have to look far to see that in life, even through some of the most difficult things. Before I go any further, I want to introduce my partner in life, Diane, right there. Would you please stand up, honey, and say hello? For those 37 years, she's prayed me out the door every day, and thank God I've been able to come home every day. Uh, You know, Mike shared, uh, you know, he, he lost a nephew this past year in the service in the fire service, a young man who was killed by a tree falling. That's why he's got such a heart and passion for those guys that go out. You talk about a dirty job, those hot shots. Okay, so we do want to keep them in our prayers going forward even as as uh, and I'm sure you all know people who are in the in the service. So, what I really want to accomplish today is we've done already. We've we've remembered those that were lost um and and again, not only those who served and ran in but the the innocents as well. Um there was one gentleman, you know, when I got down there and and, and started talking to some of the people who I asked, and he escaped. He was a firefighter for New York City, and he, he was able to get out and and survive the whole thing. And, and uh, it was a pretty harrowing, harrowing story in itself. And I said, what were you thinking when you went in? I mean, this I, I know what I was thinking. You all, not all of you, some of you young people have no idea where you were when this happened, but most of us remember exactly where we were, what we were doing. This is one of those life-changing events. And uh, I, I know when I saw it happen... Um, I told my wife when I first thing I watched on the TV, I I said, firemen are going to die today. There's just no question about it. I knew those guys well enough to know that they'd be going in no matter what. And sure enough, that's what he said. I said, what were you thinking when you went in that day? And he said, I was just following the boss. That That's the heart of a firefighter. You just do the job and a police officer or whatnot. And I think about the folks on flight 93 who weren't firefighters or police officers, right? who kinda of did the same thing. Like, you know, they, they they saw a need, they took care of it, and they took that plane down and who knows how many how many lives they saved in the process. So um, we just never want to forget that. I want to read some scripture to you um, as we get into this and just to remind you and set a set a basis for um, really what we're gonna share and for believers especially and I and I and, I, and I, I'm I'm here to reassure or to uh, remind believers of God's love for us and how he does meet us in these times, but also if you don't know the Lord, like a lot of people in this room do, and those songs are being sung this morning, and they don't necessarily resonate with you. I hope after today that that you have that spark ignited in you to say, "Hey, I need that peace. I need that assurance. I need to know in in a moment like this that God is there with me." And you're going to have an opportunity to to um, deal with that today. But Psalm 139, chapter uh, chapter 139, it's a famous psalm. But listen to the intimacy that God has towards those who are who he loves and who are believers. He, David says, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's 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 our Lord. And that's how he interacts with us through life. And the story I'm going to... Some of the stuff you're going to hear today will... We'll really speak to that. Um, my, my, uh, my interaction with the city of New York, let me see if I can do this right, um, started a long time ago. Okay, I think that picture shows the, the trade centers. That's a shot taken when we were on a family vacation in 1972. The buildings weren't even open yet. We took that from the Empire State Building. And, you know, I, I was mesmerized as a, young, as a youngster with that whole city. I didn't, you know, wasn't necessarily enraptured by it, but, you know, that, that was just my first interaction with it. Several years later, uh, in 1982, uh, as a young man, I was already starting to get started in my fire service career. Do you love those socks? (laughs) Look at those socks. I like that. I can see that up there. Thank you. Yeah. You love those socks? My friend and I, Paul, we rode our bicycles all the way across the country. It was awesome. And we ended up our trip in New York City, coming over that bridge into lower Manhattan. And my brother-in-law, my, Diane's uh, brother, lived there, and that's why we, we ended up there. And while I was there, you know, obviously, uh, it was just amazing. That was my first real close-up encounter with the World Trade Center, getting pictures of it, going up into the observation deck and, and shooting pictures and just being amazed by the building and, and, and how, it, um, how it shows the city and things of that nature. Um, while I was riding my bicycle up Broadway, I saw that ladder truck uh, sitting there, and I was was—you know trying to be a new firefighter, and I was just amazed by that red m- machine. And then I read this book about the New York City Fire Department and just became very much a, a buff. I hate to say it. I actually uh, talked to guys about trying to get a job there. And um, in 1989, I should say, uh, I went back and uh, started riding along with those guys. Went back for my wife's brother's funeral. Our funeral. My wife's brother's wedding. And um, <laughs> Hey, go to that marriage conference, okay? That you guys make sure you go to that. But um, <laughs> uh, anyway, we met this gentleman, Bob. Bob, uh, it, it was a firefighter there uh, that I met in 1989, and we've had a, a long relationship ever since. This is a gentleman, Mike Redman, who uh, um, lives here locally. We went back in 1996, and and got to meet more of the guys. But I went back many, many times. I rode with. Um, with, uh, with the rescue companies and some of the engine companies and, and really formed a, a lot of relationships there, especially with Bob. He's in the middle. Bob didn't smile much, you might notice in some of these pictures. We're gonna come back to Bob as we go along here, okay? Um, and just, again, just getting to know the guys. What great bunch of people, New York City fire guys. Rough, you talk about blue collar, the bluest of blue collars. Okay, just a salt of the earth group of guys that I really became close with. One of the trips back there in the mid-90s, we went back to try to encourage, uh, the firefighters. Firefighters of Christ's mission is to encourage firefighters to live their lives for Jesus Christ. And that's, we went back there, sort of as Firefighters of Christ missionaries, and we went around, met a bunch of guys, prayed for a chapter there, um, had some great encounters, and, and several years later, um, maybe uh, possibly as an indirect result of that, those prayers, hopefully, and and others. This gentleman, Jerry Silcox, uh, began a chapter in New York City, which is still very active to this day. And thankfully, that chapter began before this happened. Okay. Um, And then that's an image you'll never forget, right? And when that happened... Like I said, firefighters were going to die that day, and and I knew several of them, so I was really concerned for those guys. And I knew that, you know, even if those guys didn't perish, that they would be in the midst of this situation immediately to to minister and serve. They had really laid a lot of groundwork in their organization to do so. And like any good firefighter worth their salt, as soon as this happened, you know, I wanted to go there and do something. But, you know, we're not supposed to do that unless we're asked to do that, which has always been hard for me. <laughs> but uh, in this case, I actually exercised that discipline because, as my wife knows, I would have left right then and there. But um, I called Jerry, not right away, uh, gave him some time. Or he sent an email, actually, <laughs> or quickly just said his only words were, this is so hard. That's all he said. And so I waited a day, gave him a call. Um he was just overwhelmed. He says, I, I, I don't even know what to do. And then, you know, in the meantime, I started thinking, how are we going to get there, you know, and we'll wait. But he called the next day on a Wednesday, and he, all he said was, Mike, just come. That's it. Those were the orders. So we went to work on getting there. Nothing was flying. Um, you know, as you guys know. So uh, a few guys, I, I put the word out. And I had a couple a couple guys sign up right away. One of them's here, Scott Zabinden. Would you stand up real quick? Say hi, Scott. I'm not sure if is Ron Smith here. Is there, is there a hand out there for Ron? Anyway, Ron Smith and, and Scott Zabinden emailed me back and said, "Let's go." And we rented a vehicle. And the first order that we got from Jerry was being Queens on Saturday. This is this is on Wednesday. Be in Queens on Saturday for a funeral, one of the first ones that were going to happen after the event. We got everything packed up. We left on Thursday about 5 o'clock in the evening, and we got to Queens at 7 o'clock on Saturday, and we were there for the funeral, the funeral for this young man right here, James Papa George. I'll never forget his name. It was his first fire. He was a probationary firefighter. He worked in midtown Manhattan. He was heading downtown. He called his mom. He says, Mom, I'm going to my first fire. It was the last she ever heard of him. And so we got there on Saturday and we were able to be at the funeral with, with the family and with some others and, and minister to them. Um, which is really what we ended up doing. Ron, Ron was funny. He got in the car on our, on our way out and, and I, and I said, guys, we are not going there to go to the pile. We're going there to minister to firefighters and fire stations. That's our job. And they all said, okay, okay, okay. We got about 10 minutes on the road going north and Ron says, if you don't get me on that, on that pile of grounds there, he says, it won't be pretty so we we eventually as you would imagine we eventually found our way you couldn't but go down there it was amazing how God worked it to where we were able to get into that area and actually work alongside with those guys um, really more for moral support than anything else by then several others had arrived and there was a lot going on to support the effort down there um, but we got right in the middle of it and, and spent a couple, two, three days just shoveling stuff you know, and, and just again, really there to support the guys who had been there nonstop, uh, since the whole thing started. This is a picture of Scott actually working hard. He was a workhorse, just one bucket at a time. And one thing, one impression that you'll hear, and I'll tell, I'll share it. it, it having been at that building many, many times, I'm sure several of you, how many of you had been to the World Trade Center at some point? Yeah, many of you in this, in this room had been there. Imagine those two giant buildings. How many desks are in there, right? How many, How many bathrooms, how many pieces of porcelain, how many doors? There wasn't a shred of any of it in that pile. Not one recognizable shred of anything in that pile that you could make any sense of. And you couldn't help but be mesmerized by that. Uh, Also, while we were there, we we did actually do the thing we were there to do. We went to several fire stations. We kind of got dispatched as people called Jerry... That he would call us, and we were able to just go and be where where they couldn't be, and it really was an amazing time that uh, we had, and opportunity to not only work alongside those guys, but go to the firehouses, just sit, just listen, pray with them, uh, mourn with them. Go to, I mean, they were funerals and wakes were happening already, even even within just a few days of the event. And again, having known some of these guys, I knew three people specifically who passed away, including Father Michael Judge. Who was the first fatality um, on the scene. We actually set up a prayer station at the Ground Zero location, and we were able to staff that. We had a bunch of stuff there to give to the guys. If they needed it, we were right next to one of the rest areas, and we were able to do a lot of ministry that way as well. It was really a remarkable time. Bob, who you saw earlier, of course, I'd seen him many times since then. We had a good relationship. He had been injured before the event. I wasn't sure if he was involved, but I heard he was down there. So I took a. I made an effort to go find him, and sure enough, he was right in the middle of it. He couldn't work in the, but he was the guy right next to the pile, basically, doling out all the tools to his to his brothers there, and he was there um, doing that. So I was able to meet up with him, spend some time with him, um, you know, and just he was just sitting there looking at the paper, and there was 343 pictures in it, and he looked at me and he said, I, "A hundred of those guys were his really good friends." Um, and it was just, you know, not much you can say but to pray for him and just be there for him, a ministry of presence. And that's really an opportunity that we all have at times, you guys, is, is when things like this happen, we don't have to say a lot. Like Daryl said, it's a ministry of presence, just being with them, having an ear, getting a bottle of water, doing the little things that show the hand of God. In the midst of something like that. It's amazing how things, how people remember that years later. And you don't even think twice about it. But God uses you doing those little things. Sitting him with that night was one of those little things. And he was sleeping actually in the chair. He was so tired. I had to leave early, early in the morning. Um, I left him one of these. Firefighters of Christ uh, has a little New Testament that we have. And we, and we give him, I left him one of these. I wrote some notes in it and I, and I left it on where he was and I, and I, and I moved off. And that's the last time I saw him for, for that event. Moving on from that real quick, I'm sharing some stories. I'm weaving them in here. I call them Threads of Hope. The FDNY, Bob here, this family right here. This this family, a little six-year-old got his dad's hand right there. Um, This is the Marks family. Um, Roger worked in World Trade Center Tower number two. I was walking down past one of the... There's an old old church there, St. Paul's Chapel. You guys have probably seen it if you've been in New York City, and... One impression I had when that incident happened, maybe you did too, was all the paper flying around. You recall that? That was an image that I just didn't forget. And, and it just, it, those buildings got hit and it's like the paper blew out. And it just all day long that paper was raining down until those buildings came down. And so I was walking past that chapel and the chapel was this thick, high in paper. You know, covered all the headstones and everything. Ash and paper. Just, I thought, wow. I guess it all went here. You know, you know. And I just, I don't know why. I just reached down. I just picked one up, and and I I looked at it, and it was it was from a company called Aon, and and it was a short little business letter. You know, and it said where it came from, and I turned around and looked, and I went, he was up there. He was above. He was hundred second floor. And it had his name handwritten on it, and I just went, "Wow, I hope this gentleman made it and I said a prayer, and i I put the letter in my pocket. it's the last I thought of it and then later, while, like I said, we were digging out on the pile, um remember I said there was nothing, nothing, literally nothing, and so i'm just I'm just chipping away at the nothing pile, you know, and we're just we're just trying to get down to the next layer of whatever and 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 out of out of that pile, unbelievingly comes. This golf ball. I don't know who made this golf ball, but it's indestructible apparently. And it just, it literally just kind of popped right out just rolled and just landed right on my feet. And I'm like, are you kidding? Go. You know, it was just, it was just one of those weird little moments, you know, and I thought, isn't that something? So I, you know, sure, I picked the golf ball up. I said, I'll show this to my golfing buddies. So you got to get this brand of golf ball. And, and I put it in my pocket. That was it. Didn't think much of it. So after a couple of weeks of doing what we did, you know, we finally made, finally made my way back home, and it wasn't for another week or so that I actually dug through all my stuff and cleaned up my stuff, and I found that letter. Oh, yeah, that letter. I look at the letter, I look at the headline or the name on the thing, I go, that, that looks familiar. I fished out the golf ball. The golf ball and the letter came from the same location, Aeon. I mean, you know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, and I don't believe in coincidence. So I'm just going that there's, there's a, I mean that's no accident, right? So um, I went on their website. Never had heard of the company before. Went on their website. They had lost about 165 employees, and uh, they had a memorial site on their website. I was able to read a bunch of names and and look for the gentleman's name. It wasn't on there, thankfully. I wrote him a letter um, on that email. I have it here. I wrote this little little just a little note on their little memorial page. Just, just basically saying, hey, I was there. I found these things, and it made me think of you folks. And I just encouraged them, and just, just tried to lift their spirits. Again, something little. You know, those little thank you notes or little letters you send to people. You know, when they're when somebody in their family passes away, those things mean a ton. You know, those are the little acts we can do. I didn't think anything of writing that. Hit sand gone. Day goes by. Two goes two days go by. I didn't think nothing of it email comes back. Hey, Mr. Bell, I work for Aon. Thank you so much. That letter really meant a lot to us. Oh, that's neat. Within two days, I had 40 of those in my in-basket from all over the world. I didn't even know this company was all over the world. I mean, Brazil, Spain, Canada, Mexico, all over the world. Finally, I get an email from somebody in our corporate office, go, hey, uh, dude, you don't know what this letter has meant to our company it's gone company wide and it's 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 really helping us you know walk through this and and she says by the way she says at the very last she says Roger Roger's alive and he's going to be reaching out to you so 2 days later 3 days later i get another email and it's a four page letter from Roger it's here also um one of the questions that comes up with these kind of incidents always is why and I was going to deal with that a little bit today, but I, I, I was reminded Roger dealt with it in his letter. You know, um, we know, we know that the world is full of evil. We don't like it, but we know it's true. Here's a guy who literally, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll kind of get the story here in a minute, but he says, as he's explaining it to me, his whole episode and how he got out, he says, I do not look for reasons. I understand that evil exists and that people choose evil. It is not God who causes such tragedy, but it is He who brings meaning to it. And that's so true. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a boat crash on the Colorado River or, or who or whatever the tragedy is. Daryl Scott, Columbine, daughter was killed there, Rachel, spoke at our church one time, and he said, Let's not be look-atters. You know, looking at the thing, let's be see-throughers. Let's see through the thing and see where God is in it. That's what Roger did in the after immediate aftermath. And that's, I think, what, uh, we're called to do as well. He, he was, um, on the 102nd floor and in the, in, not the, the building got hit next door. Everybody knew something happened. They didn't know exactly what. 18 minutes from the time that plane hit, the next plane hit, right? It was 18 minutes. He's on the 102nd floor. He doesn't know it. Nobody knows it in that building, but they have 18 minutes to get out. Okay. And, He's on, he, he saw that building burning next door and, and immediately he gives God the glory and says, I had, to, the Lord told me to get out. PA came on and said, you guys can stay. It's, it's isolated to the next door building. Feel free to stay. You know, he shouts to the building. He says, I, I don't know about you, but I'm leaving. That right there saved a lot of lives. Cause, cause, you know, others went with him. Okay. Others stayed. Long story short, he's on the 102nd floor. He's got to get down to the bottom floor to get out. He doesn't know it. By the time he calls his wife to tell her that he's okay, she doesn't answer. Praise God, because if she did, he wouldn't have got out. Okay, little things, right? Friend across the street, he called his wife. She did answer. He didn't get out. Who knows? We'll get into that in just a second. So he makes his way down. He gets down on the 92nd floor because of the way the elevators work there. He walks out. They're, walking. They're looking straight across, straight across. And are watching people dive out of the building next door. And the people in his building are just mesmerized by that scene. Again, he shouts to everybody. He says, hey, folks, let's just get out of here. He was the only one that left there. Everybody else who stayed did not make it out. He made his way down to the 78th floor, which was a large elevator bank. And there was hundreds of people waiting for an elevator to show up. And he did, when he came out of the, of the stairwell he was in, he basically came out and the doors across from him opened up. He walked right into that elevator, grabbed two or three people, got him in with them, got down. That was the last elevator down. The plane hit. Uh, as he got out of the elevator, he felt the whole building shake, and, and that's when uh, the second plane hit the building. Um, and then he... Um, he couldn't get a hold of anybody, obviously, to tell him he was okay, so the family's freaking out. That young man uh, in the picture that was holding his dad's arm, his name's Ryan. He was six years old. They came and took him out of school because his dad worked in that building, took three kids out from there, took them home, and they were all watching the TV, watching this happen. And Roger says it in his letter. He says, I was finally able to make a phone call. He, was at, he made his way to Grand Central Station. He didn't know it. When, at the moment he made the call, finally got his wife on the phone. There's about 20 people in our house watching this thing on TV. At that exact moment, his building collapsed. So they haven't heard from him. They know he works there. They're seeing the building collapse. They're screaming their heads off. But he's on the phone with his wife. It was, I mean, to this day when I hear that story, it gives me goosebumps. And it's really, it's really a remarkable story. I tell you all of that because, one, it's a remarkable story of Roger and his getting out and his awareness of, of God helping him move out. But the, the cool part for us was that that letter, that golf ball, the, the letter to the, you know, I get to hear this story from Roger. I'm thinking, that's great. I get to correspond with Roger now. Well, the company calls me back and says, hey, <laughs> it'll mean a lot to us if we can fly you out to New York and meet Roger. Okay. And they said, we want to bring your fireman buddies. And I said, well, I love my fireman buddies, but can we bring my family instead? Because <laughs> <laughs> we want to meet Roger's family. And long, we got there. They put us, they didn't put us up, but they, they set up a dinner at the Waldorf Astoria. We got to meet Roger and his whole family. My kids loved it. They're eating dinner at a place that has no prices on the menus. And I said, get whatever you want, kids. This is, <laughs> and, uh, and what's neat about that is, you know, we've become just amazing friends with this family. And the the, the, the relationship has lasted, uh, you know, for all these years. There they are eating their shrimp, whatever you call it, in a place like the Waldorf Astoria. But uh, more on that in a minute. It's just an amazing outcome. How God takes things meant for evil and turns them into good. Again, in big and small ways. Okay, big and small ways. Um, the Marks family, I gave them that letter. They let me keep the golf ball, okay? But I gave them the letter, the original. They framed it up. They put it in their, in their dining room with the letter I wrote to their company, Aon. And anybody who comes over to their house, the, the top of the letter, the top of the frame just says grace. And that's a conversation starter for them. And they share that story with everybody who comes and has dinner with them. And it's just a way for them to share their story about God's love for them through through that whole incident, pretty amazing. Uh, I just want to you know, as I get close to wrapping up here, um, just some follow up threads of hope. So we stayed very connected to the New York City Fire Department for the next year. Went to a lot of funerals back and forth, um, and then the Firefighters of Christ group set up a uh, close to the one year anniversary. They they set up. There was a lot going on, obviously. So um, there was a ministry out there called Festival of Life through a, a church down in San Diego. Uh, did a bunch of things. We we did a we hosted a picnic out in Queens for the FDNY and their families. We had about five hundred people show up. Um we've cooked them <laughs> we cooked them all sorts of good food. That's one of our guys from Rancho Fire, Sammy Dominic. And then uh we had some things going on for him. And then we shared the gospel. And this is John White, this is the founder of Firefighters for Christ. He's been here, I believe. Um and he shared the gospel in a powerful way, and several people raised their hand that day. And the thing that's really remarkable, you don't always know how those things turn out. Three three or four years later, John was with a Firefighters for Christ group at Katrina in Mississippi, and they were at a, like a base camp doing some, just getting some food and stuff, and a guy walks up to him and says, hey, weren't you the guy that did that picnic in New York City at that park in Queens? He says, yeah. He was a police officer from New York City. He says, I was one of those guys that raised my hand. You know, and you just, you, you just walk away from that going, okay, God, see? I mean, that's what you do. In the middle of all that, that you know, it's just amazing. Um, back to Bob real quick. I'll finish up with Bob and then wrap it up. Um, Bob, he's barely smiling in that picture. <laughs> okay, I, you know, I've stayed in touch with him over the years. A lot of interaction with him. He's he's with John White there, so it was a great time for him to meet John. And we were back there in two thousand eleven for the World Police and Fire Games, and we went by his station and, and met him. And 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 then John walked away, and I was starting to walk away, and Bob just says, "Hey, Mike, come here." And and he, he that's about all he'll ever say to me. So I walk with him. He says, "Come in." He takes me upstairs to his fire station. Doesn't say a word. Gets in his locker, you know. Pulls out that Bible I gave him, which was in ten years ago. Um, then, and it's tattered. And he just says, "I read it all the time." And two men who couldn't, you know, aren't supposed to be emotional. Double bro back tap. That's about all we could do. (laughs) And that was it. And so I know God used this in Bob's life as well and and, in many other lives. Um, And so that's how that story. Back to the marks. Again, we talked about still being very close friends with them. This is a trip we made back a few years ago. Even last year in 2017, I was in Florida after the Hurricane Irma to help out my family and some other people. And, you know, we made our way down to, to be with their, their mother and father. That's how close the families are. And a couple of years ago, um, their son played baseball for Columbia. He came out and played some games out here. And just three weeks ago, we had dinner with that little six-year-old kid. And there he is right there. That's Ryan. He's 23, lives out here now. And it just, it just, uh, just affirms for us. Every time we're around this family, it just reminds us of how good God is and how he uses horrible things, to do amazing things, and how he does that uh, for people. And those of us who are believers, that's something you never want to forget. We're not forgetting today. Like Scott says, we don't want to forget the good things that come out of the bad things. We want to sing about them. We want to write about them. We want to tell about them. It's really important that we do that because it's a testimony to those who may not know Jesus okay and we're going through hard things cuz we all have the why question real quick on that why question some would say you know even roger you've heard of survivors guilt right roger you know why me why did i survive and and um, and others didn't you know jesus actually dealt with that and we have to be good with this jesus dealt with that he said he said uh, remember peter when he when he restored peter after after he was resurrected and they had he did the whole thing with peter and he kind of wraps that up by saying, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to die a really bad death. He says that to Peter. And Peter's like, oh, you know. He looks over at John and he says, well, what about him? <laughs> what's going to happen to him? You know? And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, don't worry about him. He says, what's it to you? He says, that's my business. That's not, I, I'll, do with, I'll do with him as I choose to do it. That's our sovereign God. He says, you just do what you're told. That's a hard thing to live with sometimes, but we have to be good with that because that's who our God is. He's sovereign that way. And he ordains things. He doesn't cause them to happen. He allows them to happen. There's purpose in it. Even Roger said that. He's the one that brings meaning to these things, no matter what they are, big or small. Even in the Bible, in Luke, there's a story, amazing story. Where where they they, you know Jesus is is challenged. There's some Galileans who are killed by Pilate, you know, for some kind of you know you know religious uprising or something. And somebody says, "Well, how come those guys were killed by Pilate and some others weren't? Were they worse sinners than the ones that weren't?" And Jesus just says, "Hey, you're all sinners, and unless you repent, you too shall perish." This is for you in this room who don't know Jesus. Okay, it doesn't, you can sit here all day long and, and question and wonder, how come that happened? How come that happens? How come that happens? My dad did that for his whole life. Okay. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, that, that's between them and me. It's between you and I. Then he, then they say, well, what about those 18 guys that got killed when that tower collapsed? I thought that's an interesting thing. We're talking about a tower collapsing. Right there in Luke. What about those 18 guys that were killed when that tower collapsed in Siloam? Were they worse sinners than everybody else? And the answer was: Everyone who's a sinner, unless they repent, will perish. Okay, that's the message for folks who don't know Jesus. Okay, in these types of situations, it sounds harsh, but it's just a reality. Okay, um, we don't ever want to forget that. And 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 I, I you know I, I'll, I leave with a couple of let's see a couple of pictures. This is a picture taken uh before I took this in 1982 on that bike trip okay the place fell down it collapsed and then I took this in 2015 when the new building got built and I just it's a reminder that God does restore he does restore we don't want to forget that but and then and then this last this picture here have you who's been to the memorial it's pretty amazing isn't it it's one of the best memorials I've ever been to very well done um we, you know, to, to, to see those names on there and to see the where that footprint was uh, is, a, is an amazing thing. But when you're there or when you're thinking, especially those of you who don't know Jesus, seems kind of harsh, but I'm going to end with this picture. Think about that picture a minute ago where the plane was just about ready to hit that building, okay? The one building was already on fire. The other building was a split second away from going in to the 78th floor, okay? People were above that fire in the first building. They had about an hour, like 45 minutes or so before the, the thing collapsed. I mean, the ones who got hit the moment it got hit, they were gone, just like that. The other ones had 45 minutes to an hour before that happened, okay? Um, there's a story in the Bible. Jesus actually goes to get a fig off a fig tree and the fig tree is fruitless and Jesus curses the fig tree and it withers. And then he tells a parable later about an owner of a, of a fig tree. And the basic same thing. So he, the owner, he wants fruit off it. There's no fruit. And he says, we're going we're to tear that fig tree down. And the guy says, hey, give it more time. Give it another year. Let me fertilize it. Let me, let me take care of it and we'll see if it has fruit. You know some people are going to get that extra minute. A lot of people won't. You just don't know. You can't know. So the, the the challenge I want to leave with those of you in the room who don't know is don't wait. Don't wait. For those of you who do know Jesus, just thank God that you know, hopefully in your situation no matter what, whether you had a, a you didn't have a second. I mean people were sitting at their desk Sipping a cup of coffee, one second, the next second, they're gone. Others were up above the fire, and nobody who was stuck above the fire um, survived the building, you know, the whole thing. So they had time. Some of them, as you know, made horrible decisions to jump out the building. Others just stayed put until it collapsed. Firefighters were all the way up there. If you listen online to some of the recordings, one of the last recordings you hear is a battalion chief ordering two more hose lines up onto the 78th floor of Tower 2, and that's the last You hear of them literally seconds later, the whole thing comes down. So on a good note, believers, remember, Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's going to use you in these types of situations in people's lives to remind them of how much God loves them. And you're going to be his hands and feet in those situations. He's going to help you through these things. He's going to remind you that he loves you, that he never leaves you. He will never forsake you. He's going to help you through it as hard as it is in the moment. And he will bring people into your life to help you do that. And I think that's, for me, that's the thing I walk away from the most out of something like this. We have this this forever friend, the Marks. I got my friend Bob to think about. I always think about that cop and Katrina in a sweaty camp and saying, Hey, I I accepted Christ after that event. Those are the things that remind me and I think of when I think of something like this. But for those of you who don't know the Lord... Don't wait. Don't wait. So with that, I want to welcome Pastor Rod back up and say thank you again for letting us letting us be here today. Praise God.
1: Thank you, Chief Bell. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's remain standing. Let's close our, our eyes and bow our heads. And Father is as we remember 15 years ago that the Twin Towers imploded and collapsed to the ground, as Chief Bell shared with us today. My prayer is that we would feel the loving arms of God around us when we feel on a personal level like we're going to collapse or implode. And Father, I pray that we would realize the brevity of time. Father, I pray that we'd realize the uncertainty of life. And we never know when we're going to be called into eternity. Which is why we need to face our own spiritual need and our need to commit ourselves to you. So, Father, thank you that you went to the cross. Thank you that you declare your love from the cross. I pray anyone here that needs to embrace that, that you would do so now, even as you would say, Yes, Jesus, I receive you. Thank you for what you did for me. I receive your sacrifice for my sin." take you as my savior so fathers we remember 911 we bless the first responders in jesus name thank you amen and amen